0: Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am editor-in-chief of Quillette. Quillette is where Free Thought Lives. We are an independent grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young, and Canadian editor Jonathan Kaye. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. I hope you enjoy listening to today's discussion.
1: My name is Jonathan Kay, and I am Quillette's Canadian editor. When we think about the culture wars and the politicization of university scholarship, few of us think of mathematics as a likely flashpoint. The history of colonialism? Sure. The literary canon? Absolutely. But math? How could the study of such topics as statistics, topology, and number theory ever be attacked as embodying systematic racism or white privilege? Yet a recent controversy involving retired Georgia Institute of Technology mathematics professor Ted Hill has highlighted that math can be every bit as controversial as evolutionary biology. An issue is a paper Hill co-authored about the Greater Male Variability Hypothesis, or gmvh which says that men are more variable than women with respect to various personality traits including intelligence which means in a nutshell that there are more male dummies out there than there are female dummies but also and this is where things get controversial more male geniuses and high performers than female geniuses and high performers one can see how in the current climate defending this hypothesis would arouse controversy, even if the scientific evidence for GMVH is fairly robust. And in a recent article for Quillette, Professor Hill described the shocking lengths some scholars in his field appear to have gone to suppress his paper, up to and including persuading a peer-reviewed journal to remove it from its website after it had already been published. Professor Hill's Quillette article about the saga has garnered enormous attention and has been reported on by other publications. So last week, I phoned Professor Hill at his current home in California to discuss GMVH and the backlash he has had to endure. Here's our recording of that interview. Thank you for joining us, Professor Hill. And uh, thank you for being a contributor to Quillette. I
2: just want to thank Quillette and you for the podcast, and uh, especially Jamie Palmer, really helped me a lot with editorial.
1: He's he's our editor uh, based in London, and yes, he's uh, he's he's great at what he does. Before we get started, the article that you published that was a scientific article, and then you published an article in Quillette about that process. The underlying subject was the greater male variability hypothesis. Could we start by you? telling me uh, in terms that intellectually curious lay people could understand what the G-M-V-H is?
2: Sure, I'll give it a try. The greater male variability hypothesis essentially asserts that, generally speaking, the males of many species are more likely than females to vary from the norm in many traits. Of course, there's a lot of exceptions in species and traits,
1: so it's just a general rule of thumb. So when you say traits, what sort of traits?
2: Oh, you could have uh, blood parameters, you could have height, you could have uh, intelligence, say in humans, height, all kinds of things.
1: So in, in in species that are governed by the GMVH, males will exhibit greater statistical variability in their height than females? Yeah, I
2: wouldn't say any species is governed by the by the variability the process. Okay. No species is governed by it. There's, there's some that exhibit it for some traits. And some species, of course, exhibit greater female variability for different traits. It's just a general rule of thumb that in general, I think that's what Darwin said, in general, throughout the animal kingdom, males seem to vary more than females of the same species.
1: And is there uh, a recognized evolutionary explanation for why this would be the case?
2: As far as I know now, not, because that's what I'm looking at. Darwin raised the question, why should it happen, and same question's been continued to be raised for the last hundred years.
1: You say the last hundred years, but here we are in two thousand eighteen, and we'll get to more of the details later. Okay, one hundred fifty. <laughs> I don't know whether... <laughs> but people, people now regard it, at least in the context we're going to talk about, as being controversial. Is it the case that uh, GMVH is controversial among uh, among scientists who study the phenomenon?
2: Uh, it's maybe it's some of the conclusions or applications are controversial. I've done a lot of literature research on it, and it looks like most of the research that's been done recently, say the last 25 years or so, is focused on human variability. And some, some articles, some conclusions find greater female variability in some things. Some find greater female for one trait and greater male for another. But by and large, most of the, most of the studies and almost all of the meta-analyses find generally greater male variability. Most of the studies in the last twenty-five years have been done on humans, but as far as I know, I'm I'm not a specialist in this field, and I just did research the best I could.
1: Now, uh, the main controversy has come in regard to intelligence. I remember when I went to law school in the 1990s, one of the deans uh, said at a public forum uh, we were talking about you know why uh, there might be more men or more than women in an incoming class. And he didn't use the term GMVH, but he cited this phenomenon uh, in regard to standardized test scores. And he said that more men are represented at the very high and very low ends of the spectrum. Uh, and I don't remember it being controversial, and yet I, I do remember Harvard President Larry Summers having to resign because he said something similar to that. Uh, was Larry Summers talking about GMVH when uh, – when he had to resign from Harvard?
2: Yes, that's one of the things he's talking about. I think he gave three reasons why there might, why men might be overrepresented at the top universities in hard sciences. That's one of the reasons he said that
1: could contribute. Uh, but on the low end of the spectrum, I suppose that could contribute to the fact that men might be overrepresented, say, in prisons uh, or negative outcomes.
2: Right. And that's also correlated with uh, low intelligence, uh, in my understanding.
1: Now, can you tell me a little bit about why you, as a mathematician, decided that you wanted to write uh, a peer-reviewed academic paper about this subject?
2: Okay, I'll be glad to. I didn't decide to write a paper about it. Here's how it happened. Uh, These ideas really originated at a dinner conversation in my home here in California. And somebody brought up the book, Why Aren't More Women in Science? by and Williams. It was a new book at the time. And they had done mega studies and they concluded the major factor was preference, that women just chose to be in other fields. And several of the people at the table were highly successful women in STEM. One was professor of mathematics, professor of computer science. So this prompted a, a very, a very pleasant but civil discussion. And Sissy and Williams had also conceded that mathematics in particular requires a high degree of creativity. And at one point somebody at the table In the spirit of friendly debate, they suggested that the majority of the very most creative people are men across disciplines, music, mathematics, art, and so forth. And another person at the table said, suggested this could be interpreted as being a very sexist remark. And I pointed out, it also seems apparent to me that the majority of the very most destructive men are also, destructive people are also men. So no complaints from anybody and wouldn't consider sexist. So then I observed that Perhaps men are just more extreme than women in many ways. And so after I started doing some simple thought experiments, just for sort the of fun of it. Just I'm a scientist, and we're trained to just, if you think of it here, come across an interesting question, you think about it. Why might men be more variable, logically speaking? So at that time, I had no idea, did, did not know that Darwin had raised the same question. And there was a decent-sized literature on something called the greater male variability hypothesis. So I came up with a few basic logical ideas and never meant to follow up on it and when i described them over wine or cocktails hour or something to friends mathematician friends ones i really respected several they asked me what i was going to do i said nothing i'm not going to write that up it's just it's too easy it's too no i'm not and they insisted that i do it they repeatedly insisted and so finally i i gave in when sergey agreed to help me with it
1: could you explain who sergey is
2: uh, Sergey is a, uh, Sergey Tobachnikov is a professor of mathematics at Penn State. And he had invited me to Penn State to get a, give a couple of lectures. And when I had never met him before and we just kind of hit it off. And he asked me what was I, what I was working on and what other unusual ideas or something. I said, well, I had this one and he, I described it to him and he said, boy, that's a, that's a really interesting idea. He asked me if I was going to write it up. I said, no, it's too, uh, it's too easy. It's too basic and it's not, you know, it's not my area or anything. And he kept, Insisting that it was an important idea and we ought to go for it. And so when he agreed to join me with it, we wrote it up.
1: Now, in terms of what you were writing, were you approaching it from the point of view of I'm a mathematician and this is a statistical phenomenon? Or were you more interested in the practical implications for the statistical distribution of uh, students and faculty within the study of mathematics?
2: No, I had absolutely no interest in applications to anything, any species, any traits in any species, nothing. I just was interested, how could it be, if you had a single species with two different sexes, how could it logically happen that one might evolve to be more variable than the other? Just a very interesting question to me.
1: And this paper was accepted by an academic journal. Can you describe how that went?
2: I had published an article in the Mathematical Intelligencer before, maybe one or two articles and since, and it's a, it's an unusual and very interesting journal that publishes things that are sort of in lay mathematics often. They're interesting articles. You don't have definitions and theorems and proofs and that sort of thing. You lay out an interesting idea, you try to give the main logical argument, give the history of it. And so we approached the editor in chief, Marjorie Senichal, and she, she loved the idea. So she helped us rewrite it. Uh, I thought I had no idea if any place liked it. So we, Wrote a version of that. We put a version on the archive with proofs and propositions and definitions, all the formalities. And the paper she wanted was for what they call their viewpoint section, which welcomes controversy. It explicitly says that right on the page. We welcome controversy. We want to generate open debate. And that's where she was going to publish the article. And it had no proofs in it, no real hard mathematics. It had some graphs and pictures, but nothing really formal. So she really liked it and we had toned it down. We wanted it. in fact we intentionally kept it away from the human stuff. And she said, You have to put something about Larry Summers in there. That's what everybody's gonna think about when they read this paper. She said, You gotta make it so it's gonna generate some open debate so people get excited. So we rewrote it under her supervision and put some Larry Summers and other things in. And she helped us revise it several times and, and accepted it.
1: Now just to um establish this because I think it will be relevant for some listeners, uh, this is this is a female editor in chief of the Mathematical Intelligencer.
2: Yes, it is. She's a professor emerita at Smith College. She's a very well-known and award-winning mathematician. She's a professor of mathematics and the history of science. She's extremely knowledgeable, absolutely fine person.
1: And did the article appear?
2: No, it didn't appear. She had to rescind it. She rescinded
1: it. And what were the forces that were pressuring her to rescind it?
2: Well, this came as a shock to us, so we knew uh, somebody had posted our article online. I guess my, maybe Sergei did. He posted the copy of the accepted paper online on his website, and who knows who found out about it first. It was, it's very much unknown. It's very much a mystery to most of us. When some people saw this, they immediately started complaining. Uh, they didn't complain to me, but people started harassing. Pete, his colleagues started harassing him. He was reported to the dean, reported to the diversity officer. Uh, people really treated him extremely badly.
1: This is Sergey at Penn State?
2: Yes. And so he was just harassed, uh, unmercifully. And I heard there were complaints. There were some complaints about it. They organized a meeting where they were going to invite him. He was going to be given 15 minutes to, pre- to present our results. And they were, and then they were going to read prepared statements about, about the work. I mean, it's just, it's almost, uh, it's hard to imagine such a thing happening now. And so I wrote these, the organizers of the meeting, and I said, I'll be glad to come talk to you. And they, you know, they brushed me off. Uh, they, they said he should be able to do it by himself. And then I wrote them, and I said, if you have any, any issues, any concerns, any suggestions, anything, any criticisms of the paper, please let me know. That's what we're in the business for. So it's still time to revise it before it gets published. And I wrote the three main people. They never answered me.
1: And so these, these people are at uh, Penn State, yes? Yes. When you talk about diversity officers getting involved, my understanding is that their complaints weren't about the, the coherence of the ideas uh, or, or the academic aspects of it. Their complaints were about the the political implications of the paper?
2: That's exactly right. When, when there were absolutely no, no uh, criticisms at all scientifically. And so when the editor in chief wrote us, she said, with deep regret, I'm going to have to rescind this because I've gotten many complaints from concerned colleagues that say that have said that this may get picked up by the right wing press and hyped internationally. We, we don't know exactly who said what or what was said. And so we, we had no idea who was complaining about anything. Nobody complained to me. And I asked the main organizers to just tell me if you have issues with this. So I asked Marjorie again, uh, Professor Senftel. I asked her, "Let me make sure this is I'm clear on this. Were there any were there any criticisms about the substance of our paper?" And she said, "No, there weren't. It was just just, just a concern about the political implications."
1: And then my understanding is that there was another journal that that then offered to to run the paper. What was the name of the second journal that offered to run the paper?
2: The second journal, well, I got an email from a fellow named Igor Riven at Temple University, professor of mathematics. I'd never met him or been in touch with him, didn't know him. And he said he'd heard about the paper from, maybe from Sergey, and he thought he'd like to uh, have me think about submitting it to the New York Journal of Mathematics. And I didn't know much about the New York Journal of Mathematics, and I looked it up online. It's an online publication, electronic only. And so I did a bit of research and I saw really good people were published in there. She had really she had some really good people on the editorial board. And I looked at the articles looked much more uh, sophisticated mathematically, much more technical than the one than the one I'd written. By this time Sergei had dropped out because of all the pressure. Sergei had dropped out of the project and the fellow that had done the simulations for us also dropped out. They said they wanted their names off, it was just getting too hot at Penn State. So the New York Journal said uh, they were very interested in it. And both the editor-in-chief, uh, the editor that contacted me, said he was very positive. He said, the editor-in-chief really likes it. We'd like you to think about publishing it here. So I looked it up to do my homework on a journal. I thought, gee, this is interesting. Uh, uh, to it's, me, it's extremely rare. I don't think it's ever happened to me before that a journal has asked me to publish a paper out of the blue. And so I said, I looked at it, and I said, sure, I'll be glad to. I'll rewrite it, and maybe more a little more mathematically or whatever, and be glad to submit it, which I did. And they uh, refereed it very quickly, guess they had already talked to people about it before, so I don't think that was, a, that was an issue, and uh,
1: published it online. So they published it online, but uh, having read your Quillette article, I know a very strange and surreal thing then happened it kind of just sort of disappeared, like the things that disappeared into the memory hole in, in George Orwell's 1984. Exactly right.
2: Uh, so it was published on November 3rd, and on November 6th, I think, a friend of mine, there was many of my, many of my friends who told me they really liked the paper, it was really interesting. So
1: this is 2017, yes?
2: Yes, 2017. So they they told me it really was, you know, uh, I sort of... Uh, Outside the envelope, you know, it was they were, they were really interested in it. And it was a simple idea and seemed fairly logical. And some said the idea is simple but compelling. And so they were happy to see it. And then a friend of mine uh, called me from Atlanta, from Georgia Tech, and he said, I looked up your article again and it isn't there anymore. So I, I waited a few days and I looked and it wasn't there. The link was down. And I waited a few days and I wrote the editor-in-chief and I said, gee, the link's down. You know, I, what happened to the paper? And he said, uh, he had been threatened by his editorial board that half of them, half of them were going to resign and they were going to harass his journal until it died. Now, I'd like to say a sad note right now. It's just two days ago that editor in chief, Mark Steinberger, just passed away. And in his obituary, that's one of his chief scientific legacies is starting the New York Journal of Math. So here was a journal that he started, was proud of, was his main legacy, and they were threatening by online harassment. To shut his journal down, to destroy it completely, and and they said it wouldn't do me any good to have an article in a dead journal. So he was just uh, he was just beside himself. He apologized to me like crazy. He talked about it. He told me the absolutely nasty uh, correspondence he'd gotten about it. And there were no there were no complaints at that time about anything mathematically.
1: But the people making the threats to to destroy this journal were they mathematicians?
2: Well, I, I don't. I don't have firsthand information on that. All I have is that from him, and I have the email from from uh, this professor at the University of Chicago that told him this has to be pulled immediately, and it's a pseudoscience piece of crap. And he threatened to resign, and I guess he did eventually. I don't know who else complained. From what from what Mark Steinberger told me, it was more than just that math group that did.
1: Now, if I could just retreat for a second and ask you a, a larger question. Putting aside the the tactics you're describing which do seem somewhat vicious do you sympathize with the idea that the GMVH thesis could be used to to justify the exclusion of of women from academia i can see why people would think that well right wing media would seize on it as 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 proof that there is no sexism it's just that uh, there are fatter tails on the distribution curve for men than for women, so that's life. Can you see why that could be uh, troublesome for people?
2: Well, I, I think the best way for me to answer that, I, I pulled out a quote here that was posted on the Quillette article, a, a reply yesterday. That's September 17th. So I just like, this is my answer to it. I think she said it better than anybody could. Here's a quote As a female graduate student in mathematics, I downloaded Professor Hill's paper in order to read and support it. For me, it's not even a question of whether or not it's true, although a priori it rings true. Why am I not threatened by it? My success in the field so far has proven that no matter what the science may say, none of it disproves that I individually can succeed in mathematics. Isn't that what matters? So I agree with her completely. It doesn't matter what the numbers are. There's always going to be room for anybody that's good. There's going to be room at the, there's room at the top. I mean, there's only a few people are Nobel Prize winners, but when you get down into the next category of mere mortals like most of the rest of us, there's plenty of room for everybody.
1: Just to uh, emphasize, there's nothing about the GmbH thesis that says anything about any particular individual. It's just the prevalence of extremes within the male and female populations, yes?
2: Yes, but more than that, there's nothing about the GmbH that says anything about any particular trait of any particular species. Period. You can talk about arcs and their birth weights. It doesn't matter. The GMBH doesn't say anything about any any species or any trait. That's that's kind of, that's given. It's just a general it's a general theory.
1: So where does your article stand now? Because you're in the weird position where it's it was briefly published by this uh, New York Journal of Mathematics and then unpublished uh, under all sorts of uh, hysterical threats from third parties. Right, that's right. W- where is it now?
2: Well, right now, uh, I don't know if you're aware of the mathematical archives, but it's a place where mathematicians, bona fide mathematicians, they check to see who, who you are and see what you've written, can post an article. So if you, if you Jonathan, have an idea in mathematics and you can write it up, you can publish there with almost, it's not vetted very much. It's just vetted a little to make sure it's not, uh inflammatory or 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 are completely wrong complete garbage and you can post the article there and that's posted permanently so i'd already had to post it up there 6 months before any of this stuff happened uh for so everybody to read i got great responses people people read the archives they go on and if they're interested in variability or if they're interested in algebra they punch you in algebra and they see all the latest things that people put up about it so a couple of advantages are it's permanent and, and you can update it. So you can put in another version. You can revise your last one. So right now I have my ninth version because I've learned as I've gone. I didn't know anything about, uh, genetics or biology before and people corrected me and I'd make improvements in the paper.
1: And if, if people listening wanted to read the paper, I know that there's a link to it in, uh, in your Quillette article. But if they don't have their computers open, what terms should they Google in order to read your latest version of your article?
2: You can just Google Unvariability Hypothesis. It's probably about the fifth or sixth hit.
1: Do you use the acronym GMVH in your article?
2: I don't think I did in that, in that
1: version. Okay. And, and the full name is Greater Male Variability Hypothesis. Um, right.
2: If you Google that, even Variability Hypothesis, I think it'll come up.
1: And you use your full name, Theodore Hill, as the authorship, I guess. Yes. Now, how long were you an, an active professor at the University of Georgia?
2: A uh, little more than 25
1: years. Did you ever see anything like this during your those 25 years?
2: Never seen or heard of it. I've asked all friends and not just mathematics in all areas. Nobody's ever heard of an article being published and then disappeared from the journal. Twenty years ago, when people were first starting electronic journals, they thought this might be a problem. They realized that and they, they were a little worried about it. And Nothing happened until now. They realized that, you know, electronically speaking, somebody could get a new editorial board in, they could go back and look at something that was done in 19, in 2012, and just erase it electronically and put something else there. Theoretically, that's possible. Originators of electronic journals were a little worried about this, but it never happened. This is the first time I know it's happened.
1: Now, in your case, uh, you're a professor emeritus, you're you're not a full-time working professor, how old was your uh, original uh, co-author Sergey? Uh, was was he also retired or is he uh, mid-career?
2: was active. That's why one of the problems. He's a full professor. Uh, I don't know. I guess he's in his fifties. I'm guessing early sixties. He's he's a young fellow by my standards, and he was he and the other fellow that helped us. They uh helped us do the simulations they're both full active professors, so I mean they can't take the heat they don't want people coming around their office late at night and complaining about them being sexist or whatever it is. They just couldn't handle it anymore they didn't want to take they didn't want to take any more of it
1: and Are there people who have who have come to you privately and said "I'm sorry for what you've gone gone through, but I can't support you publicly because of the the climate
2: absolutely in fact, you can see a ton of those on the quillette replies. They're, they're posting anonymously a lot of them. They thank me for my courage. They say, in fact, one of them said, it takes a retired person to stand up to this stuff. Please don't die. <laughs> so, so, uh, no, there's a ton of them. Look at the quote out responses. There's over 500 of them now. Sure, there's some that are, uh, there's some that are, that try to beat on me or do beat on me or somehow are my co my colleagues. But no, most of them are really supportive. I got one today from, an immigrant from Bangladesh. And she said, she thanked me for just standing up, standing up
1: to the bullying. Now you're you're a big name in mathematics and you're retired and um, you can, I guess, say what you want. What do the rest of us do? Uh, Like what advice do you have for somebody who maybe even not in mathematics, but is an academic who feels that their research or publications are being undermined by nakedly political or ideological considerations.
2: Well, I'm hoping that maybe a little exposure that this is getting will encourage them to speak up. I mean, if you're, if you're really young, my advice is to go to go to a senior faculty member. Go to the full professor and ask for his or her advice and help. I mean, the, the idea here that I hope will catch on will be that it's not a question of what's being said. It's a question of due process. It's a question of freedom of speech. And... When these things are starting to disintegrate, let's say, like in general society, a lot of us sort of think that's happening. When that starts to get into academics, then it's time to, you know, to stand up against it. And I think that young person or, you know, an untenured person or a younger person, a social professor, if you don't feel like taking the heat yourself, that's very understandable. But let somebody know about it. Let somebody know about it. And then I think you'll find there's there's very strong people with a lot of integrity that will recognize the problem and try to
1: help. Do you plan on writing more about this issue, or do you feel like you've said what you had to say, and uh, it's gotten a lot of attention, maybe not in the way you intended originally, but it's probably gotten more attention uh, overall than you might have anticipated. Is is there a sequel to this, or do you feel you're just going to walk away from it?
2: No, I mean, you're exactly right. if, If the intelligence were to just publish the first thing that they accepted, nobody would have heard about it. You and I wouldn't be talking. It all be a done deal. I mean, it might have been a few, few people wrote a few rebuttals that would have been in. But no, no. Right now, to, to answer your question here, I'm not a variability expert, but I'm getting I'm getting really wonderful messages from people outside the field. Mathematical evolutionary geneticist. I just heard from yesterday for the first time. A named full professor at the University of Texas, and he has some qualms about what I wrote or how I did it. But there we have an interaction of ideas. He's already suggesting, well, you know, this isn't exactly right. It doesn't fit with the the uh, evolutionary theories of today and tell me things that are. So I'm optimistically, I'm an optimist. Optimistically, I'm thinking, you know, I might do some joint work with him or with somebody like that. Let's exchange ideas for them. That's what it's all about. I've had a lot of offers since that article came out, a lot of offers to publish in different places. Send your article here, especially overseas. You know, Russia and uh all kinds of places saying yeah we aren't restricted by this uh, political correctness as much as america is so send your article here no i don't need to send it now because on the archive thousands of people have probably read it now which is way way more than anybody would have read before and they get the chance to critique my logic and my ideas and getting the feedback i am is very encouraging to me because that means some other people are interested in the idea. Now, they may be interested and think that I'm wrong, but that's fine with me. That's science. They may have a better idea or a different idea. So I'm all for it. I don't plan on publishing very much, but I'll be, I'll be delighted to work with somebody or younger people or evolutionary biologists here locally where I am at, in California. So.
1: Well, I, I hope that, uh, as you do meet more people who are interested in the field and you do publish more, I. Uh, you will consider bringing your research and thoughts to the lay audience at Quillette because your article has made a big impression. And uh, I think a lot of our readers had never heard of the greater male variability hypothesis, and now they have, uh, thanks to you. So thank you.
2: Oh, thanks very much. I think, you know, I think, as I said, one of the best outcomes of a Quillette article for me is to see people are reading and critiquing the ideas and not just with me, there's a real lively exchange of ideas on the replies there. One reader, for example, I don't have to answer stuff now. One reader asks a question and says, well, wait a minute, what about people in prison? How's that related to the opposite of a Nobel Prize winner or something? And I don't have to answer that. Some other reader comes in and says, that's because of this. And they're answering each other's questions. And that's the way science should work. It's just a wonderful, wonderful experience.
1: Well, I'll just end by giving people the, uh, the headline. Uh, at Quillette, it's called, Academic activists send a published paper down the memory hole. If you Google that, you'll find the article and there will be a link to the archives article where they can read uh, the academic literature written by Theodore P. Hill. Ted Hill, thank you so much for your time. It's been great. Thank you very much, Jonathan. I appreciate it.
0: If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette.